Hey everyone and welcome to the Lemonial Preacher. It's your host Ryan Roberts and today I actually have a little bit of a special treat for you. I'm actually posting a message that was recorded several years ago at Christ Fellowship Church in Dawsonville, Georgia, the church that spiritually raised me up. And when I preached this message, it was a very interesting one. A tragedy had just happened in our local community. There was a teen suicide that had happened. And I had the unique opportunity to preach to the adult congregation. Since that time, I've had a lot of people that obtained the CDs from that night that told me that this message helped them through very tough times in their life. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe everything's going great, and I hope it is. Maybe you're in a little bit of a tough season. Either way, I hope that this message is one that's positive and encouraging. I also hope it challenges you in all the right ways. I hope that you enjoy it. Take a listen. Share it with your friends. Let's get into today's message. If not, we've got two big old Bibles right up here, so it's going to come up for you. We're in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 7. Tell me when you got it. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching, burning ears, they will accumulate them for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. I want to tell you a little story. It'll give you a little background on how pathetic I am. <clears throat> I played football in high school, and when I was a, a little guy, when I was a freshman and a sophomore, I wasn't this big, tough guy like all the upperclassmen. Now, mind you, I was when I graduated, but when I was a freshman and sophomore, I wasn't. And I remember we were very good starting out my freshman year. I went to Chesity High School in Hall County, and we beat Gainesville. And that's a big deal if you know high school football in North Georgia, especially at the time. We were, we were in re Region 7 AAA, which was supposedly the best region of the state. Dawson County was in that region at the time. And it was so exciting and thrilling, and we were ready to go. And then our season suddenly took a turn for the worse. And so our coach decided he was going to be a whole lot harder on us. On Wednesdays, being church day, he would let us wear shorts to practice. We'd have to wear our shoulder pads and our helmets, but we didn't have to wear the pads and our pants. And if you've ever played football, if you're a gentleman or I guess a, a lady and never played football, if you've ever put on football pants and you're running outside and it's 90-something degrees, it's burning up and it's not a lot of fun. You want to wear shorts to practice. But he decided there was going to be no more shorts and he was going to punish us and challenge us by wearing pants. Well, the upperclassmen decided they didn't want to wear pants on a Wednesday practice. It was a shorter practice. He let us out early so we go to our various churches. If we went to church, I didn't. I went to Christian did. But anywho, 
they decided that we were not going to wear pants. And they stood at our locker room door, and all of me little guys were sitting there putting our pants on. And he said, no, 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 you put your shorts on or you ain't leaving here. And they said some awful, terrible things to us. And so we all banded together, and we all had our shorts on, we had our, our other pads on, and we all got together for the first time to run down all at the same time to our practice field, which was down below a hill. And immediately before we ran down, we all screamed out the words that everybody is supposed to yell out if you're charging with a group of people on one, two, three, charge. You ever done that? And it was such a thrilling moment because we're all screaming and we're running and we're already sweaty and we're just a bunch of guys. And we get down there and our football coach with his sunglasses on is standing there like this right here. I mean, he didn't move a muscle. And we get down and we run down in front of him. We get there and we just stop. And we're looking right into his eyes. I swear you could see his soul through his eyes, through his sunglass lens. And he's looking at us and we thought we were about to get chewed out. But instead... He said that's the first time since he had been at Chesity High School he had seen a team formed, and we were a losing team. But together, we come together. You hear what I'm saying? So tonight, I believe what we are going to dive into as we dive into our P52 verses, I believe Paul is speaking to us today, and he's telling us as the church to charge, to fight, you have to understand something. It's important to recognize who Paul is talking to and under what circumstance he is writing in. So let me give you a little background. You may want to take notes if you're left-brained. Timothy was a spiritual son to Paul. Timothy is first mentioned in the book of Acts when he comes alongside of him as an apprentice of sorts. He serves him, observes him, and learns from him. And eventually, he goes on to become a pastor of a church that Paul puts him over. We later learn more about Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy. Now, if you've ever read 1 Timothy, it's a lot of instruction for the pastors and for the church, and it gives qualifications of deacons or elders or whatever word you want to use. It gives qualifications of the pastor and what to look for if you're going to appoint somebody. But in 2 Timothy, there's something a little different. I want you to recognize something. Rick Warren no matter what you think of him, he's got a pretty good quote right here. He says, we need a sense of parenthood as we mentor because it's vital that we be grounded as we dream big dreams. Amen? Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. However, in 2 Timothy, again, there's a shift in the relationship. Timothy is no longer an apprentice. He's out of the trainee stage. Timothy is an established pastor. And when Paul wrote this letter, he was imprisoned under Nero in Rome. During his first imprisonment that we read about earlier, he was under house arrest. So it's a little bit different. But this time is about five years later, estimated. And we believe that he was held in chains in Tilinatum. I know I just butchered that word, but it's in Rome, I promise. It was a horrible dungeon. It was originally built to be some sort of water well. So you can imagine how cold and damp. You can't see the light of day. And he knows that if he's here, he's in prison as someone who is going to be tortured. And eventually, probably, he was going to be killed. And we know that later on, after writing this letter, he's beheaded shortly after this. 
we need to understand something. In a cold, dark dungeon, Paul wrote to his spiritual son and to us today a charge, the words of a dying man. Someone say that's good. He starts off by saying, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought about the word charge? I'm weird, I think about words. The word charge can mean to demand money or payment. It can mean to store energy, or it can mean to rush forward. I don't know about you, but I believe, given the recent events that's happening in our society, in our communities right here in this area, I believe that God is calling his church and our body right here at Christ Fellowship Church to come together and charge and move forward. Somebody say amen to that. Afterwards, skipping down, he says, be in season and out of season. And I don't know if I've ever understood that. The word is eukairos, made up of you, which means good in Greek, in the original language. I went to the concordance, I promise. And kairos, meaning time. But in Greek, there's two different types of time, and if you're a Kaneo student, you know this. There's chronos, which is sequential time, like going down a timeline. And then there's kairos, which signifies a period or season, a moment of intermediate time in which an event of significance happens. An appointed time, or it can mean an opportune moment or a due season. There's a quote here. I didn't say it. I got it from somebody else. There are some people who are totally unemployable in the spiritual realm. They are spiritually feeble and weak, and they refuse to do anything unless they are supernaturally inspired. The proof that our relationship is right with God is that we do our best whether we feel inspired or not. Understand what he's saying. When he says in season or out of season, he's not talking about a period of time. He's talking about us, Raymond. He's talking about whether it's convenient or not. Whether it's convenient to show up on a Wednesday night or not. Whether it's convenient to get up early and pray and get into the word or not. He's talking about us. And I fear as a young minister, and I'm looking at my own generation right now, and I'll be the first to tell you that I am. I fear looking around at the so-called millennials, I hate that word, the so-called millennials that some of us that call ourselves Christians won't do anything but sit in pews unless we feel God literally smacks us upside the head and tells us to do something. But I've got some interesting news for anyone who doubts that. I've got a book here that I didn't write, but I believe God wrote it, God inspired, God breathed, and he's already told us to do something. He's told us to go, preach the word, live the life of an evangelist, meaning going and telling in the ministry of reconciliation, which he's given to all Christians. And I fear that if we don't understand that, we will sit inside of our four walls, and I love these four walls, but we'll sit inside of these four walls and we will never go out and do anything that's significant to the body of Christ. 
That's amen or oh no. I've got to move on from that. I could stay right there, but I've got to move on from it. Later, he uses three words. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. All three in the context that we're talking about is dealing with false teachers and or those that are attacking against the church. In other words, these are people that are within the body of a body of believers that are attacking the church through false doctrine or maybe they're running their mouths about somebody within the church or maybe they're uh, being disagreeable or maybe they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. Maybe they're in a lifestyle of sin, but they're trying to keep it a secret. And I want to explain the difference quickly. The word reprove means to correct, specifically talking about those who err in the doctrine or behavior. The word rebuke means to warn those who sin. In the Strongs, the word describes a stronger and escalated approach to sin so that someone is sternly warned to stop sinning. Everybody say warn. The word exhort means to encourage those who are growing towards spiritual maturity. All three are essential. All three are needed. And I don't know if I've ever understood the difference between each of those words. All three should be done with complete patience and with teaching. The goal here is to get the person back on track. Everybody say, help a brother out. Ah, oh, that was awful. Help a brother out. So if Rex, come here, Rex, please, sir. If me and Rex are soldiers on the battlefield, and not that Rex would, but we're talking hypothetically, if Rex falls to his knees, just go to your knees, and he forgets how to use his sword, which we know is the word of God, and he's forgotten how to hold up his shield, then what am I going to do as his brother in arms? I need to come up against him, and I need to help shield him when he doesn't know how to use his anymore, and I'm going to defend him with my sword when he's forgotten how to use his sword. You can get up now, Rex. Thank you very much. I'm not going to come at him and point the finger at him and tell him he needs to leave right away. I am going to exhort him and encourage him to be better if he's on the path of spiritual maturity. If he's not, then I'm going to reprove him. I'm going to correct him. I'm going to help him get the right doctrine and good teaching and a good solid ground. And if necessary, we will rebuke him and warn him, and we are going to help him and give him a stern warning. You're headed down the wrong path. But we are not going to just let him sit there and die on the ground. And I'm telling you, I've been a part of multiple churches outside of this one, and I've seen too many churches begin to die and begin to fail, all because because there's people that were in their brothers and sisters that wouldn't help one another, that wouldn't follow what Paul tells us. We've got to be better than that. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They're hungry for something, and they don't know what it is, but they know they've got these passions, and they don't understand. So they begin to reach out, and they'll find somebody that's got some kind of goofy doctrine. Most people my age, do you know that they believe in something that's called Calvinism? Pastor Todd talked about it this last Sunday, or I wouldn't even mention it to you. But there's a doctrine out there that says God is picking and choosing who to let die, and who to get into heaven, and who to do this. And there's people 
out there that will tell them that this is the truth, but they're so hungry for an answer. Why does this happen? I don't understand it. Why does my friend pass away? Why do I? Why did I come from an abusive home? I don't understand why I keep struggling with the same thing and the same addiction, and God never takes it away. But as Pastor Todd said this last Sunday, I believe he did at the cross at Calvary, and that's a good place to clap your hands. Be sober. Keep your mind clear. He's not just talking about drugs and alcohol. He is talking about that, but he's also talking about anything that fogs up your mind. Can I tell you something? I don't have the Facebook app or the Twitter app. I have a Facebook and a Twitter on my computer. I don't have it on my phone for a reason. Because I find that more and more and more of us, and this is adults, this is kids, and this is teenagers, are finding themselves for hours on the phone, but they don't ever get into the Word. They don't understand the Word. They don't seek proper teaching and counsel and guidance. No one's helping them. They don't have a brother and sister to come alongside of them. Not everyone, most everyone, not this group. It's not going to happen to this group. But it's happening. If this right here fogs your mind, you may need to fast this. Sorry. Amen or oh no. I'm, um, I'm very broken, as I know most of you are, over what's happened in Lufkin County recently. And I've ministered to some students, and I would never reveal. I'm not saying that they're here. I'm not, I'm not saying anything like that, but I've ministered to a couple of students. And it's really mind-blowing what's going on, and it's something spiritual. I'm telling you it is. I don't know about your experience, but I went through 12 years of school, and I don't ever remember someone committing suicide. There may have been someone that fought it, but I don't ever remember that happening. And here we are, and it's happening. It seems like one after another. It's happening, and our students are broken, and they don't understand it, and we don't have all the right answers. But I promise you, we are going to turn with a repentant heart towards the Lord, towards God, and he has the answer, and he will heal our land. I believe that wholeheartedly. And right now, our students are next door, and we've invited parents and teachers if they'd like to come. And I don't know if there's any here, but I know there's some students in there that are broken, and I know that they are praying. Some are fasting. Some are weeping. And I didn't know I was going to preach this week to y'all. I was actually going to preach to the youth this week. I was lined up. I was on the schedule, and then these events happened. And Pastor Marty said, we're going to have a prayer and a worship night. And then Pastor Todd was going out to, to minister somewhere else. And then he asked me yesterday, and I went, all right. And the funny thing is, our memory verses, our chapter we're reading, is a call for the church to be the church. I say use the, the military theme, charge. We've got to get together. We've got to help one another out. But we've got to spiritually stand our ground. I was raised with, with some preachers and teachers in my life that didn't understand that concept. I have family members and I have friends that's constantly struggled with drugs and alcoholism and other things in their life. And they go to their, their pastors and they confess their sins and they ask for help. And their pastor says, well... Everyone struggles. But I don't believe that, Bill. I don't believe we have to stay there is what I'm saying. It's okay if you're there and you're in this house tonight. It's okay. I'm not coming down on you with condemnation. But I pray the Holy Spirit convicts you. And today you'll enter into a covenant with somebody in this room and we'll help you through it. But we have got to come together tonight. We're going to close the last few minutes with prayer for this nation, for our communities, 
for the specific communities affected, Dawson, Lumpkin, Hall, and Forsyth counties. They've all had different tra tragedies that we're hearing about. We're going to pray over them. We're going to pray for our kids in this house because they're not exempt to this. But we are going to come together as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and spiritual moms and dads, and spiritual uh, grandparents. Because if I didn't have some of you, if I didn't have Bill and Georgette, if I didn't have the Posies, if I didn't have some of you that were helping raise me up, I don't know where I would be right now. And so we're going to take a few moments, and we're going to come together. I just turned the lights down a little bit. We're, we're about done, I promise. I hope tonight has helped you. I would like to go for two more hours because I'm that type of guy. But I would never undermine our pastors. If you're comfortable, just grip the hand of the person beside you, your loved one, your friend. Father, right now, we come to you and I, I'll say this for myself, I repent, God, for not always putting you first. I repent, Jesus, for anything that I've ever done that has ever led a student, a young person astray or the wrong way. And Father, as we turn to you with a repentant heart, God, we believe that you will send your Holy Spirit to convict us, to help us, to empower us, to be able to minister, to be able to love, to be able to stand our ground against this evil. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we come against the spirit of suicide. In the name of Jesus, we come against the spirit of depression. We come against the spirit of homosexuality. We come against the spirit of addiction. We come against drugs. We come against alcoholism. We come against the generational curses that's telling them that's the only way out. God, I pray right now for Lumpkin County. I pray that you will send workers from this house. I pray for Forsyth County, for Hall County, and for Dawson County. I pray that not a single student will be harmed. I place a hedge of protection around them in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray that you will lead them to a house like this one that will love them, that won't judge them, but will help correct them, that will help lead them in the right direction, that will hold them when they're broken, that will dry their tears when they're upset, God. Lord, help us to understand the need and the call, God. And we ask and ask for a revival, but it starts with us individually. And God, right now I ask that you will convict our hearts. Search us. Look deep inside of us, God. And anything that is not right with you, God, I pray that you will reveal it to us and that we will get it right even here tonight before we leave this house. Jesus, we only want to serve you. We're not in the business of trying to build a big old giant party. We want to serve you. Jesus, help me to be more like you. Help us to look like you, to act like you, to talk like you, God.
God, may we not be hateful to one another. Help us to come together, God, because your people need us. We're your church. Father, and any student that is here tonight, God, on the other side, either in the children's ministry or the youth ministry, I pray, God, that, that anything that needs to be revealed tonight is and that you will have people comfort them and love them, but lead them to you. I thank you for the workers that you have in this house, God. I thank you for the elders and the pastors and the staff that you have here, God. As our pastor has proclaimed to this house, we are going to be an army, an army of one. And I thank you, Jesus, that tonight you charge us in the name of Jesus. We come together, we believe, and we agree. Amen. I'm going to turn things back over to Miss Sherry for any final thoughts. Hey, I, I love you guys. You just listened to the Millennial Preacher Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I hope that you'll listen to us again next week and hit that subscribe button. You can find new episodes every weekend right here at the Millennial Preacher. Until then, we'll see you later.